0: Exodus 14, and pick up right where we left off last week with the Israelites uh, trying to escape from the Egyptians. once and for all, they are, and a little bit of a bind, they're, they're kind of stuck, there's really nowhere for them to go. As we saw uh, last week, Pharaoh hid, had begun to uh, pursue the Israelites, his heart had just gotten harder and harder after letting them go. He gathered up his army, uh, the best of the best that he had at the time, all the chariots he could get, and off Pharaoh and the rest of the Egyptians went uh, to, to chase down the Israelites. Now, God had sent the Israelites uh, in, in, a, in a different direction so they wouldn't have to go through the land of the Philistines and fight war. So they had went a little further south than, than really was the quickest route. And on top of that, God had kind of told them to put themselves in a spot where uh, logistically, if you were trying to escape from people, it wouldn't be the best spot to be. And that's where we left the Israelites last week. But we have finally made it. It's taken us almost half a year, but we have finally made it to to one of the most exciting and one of the most miraculous stories in all of Scripture, there, there are a few stories in Scripture that even even non-Christians, I believe, would know. And this is probably one that even if you weren't a Christian, this is probably a story that you have heard about. Whether you believe it or not, speaking of non-Christians, that is, uh, yeah. that's up for them to decide. Of course, uh, for us as Christians, I would venture to say that every one of us in this room believe this event took place. As miraculous and unbelievable as it is, we see... The power of God, and there are a few instances we see that in Scripture, but this is a one that really stands out to me just because of the uh, just the power that it must have taken uh, for God to do this miraculous act for the Israelites to cross the Red Sea. So we're going to pray, and then we're just going to go through a couple of verses at a time. So let's pray, Father God. We come to you. We thank you for these words tonight. And I pray that you help us to see your power, dear Lord, It's words like these that, that remind us of just who you are and how good you are, dear Lord, and how faithful you are to be there for your people to stand up for us, to, to deliver us from our sin, from our struggles, from, from our enemies, God. So I pray that you help us to see your mighty work here. I pray that you help us just to, uh, just to get something from this story, even though we may have heard it a bunch of times, God. Let it be fresh and new to us tonight, and let the Holy Spirit... Just really uh, speak to us in a mighty way as we read your words. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. Now, what we had saw last week was that the Israelites had been crying out to the Lord because they thought that they were in a mess, which they were in a mess. And this is kind of an interesting uh, statement here that the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Now, it may be that God is saying, well, why are you crying out? You should have more uh, faith than the Israelites. It may be implying that God is saying, why are you crying out to me? Uh, you've prayed to me. I've heard you. And now there is a time to act. There's a time to pray uh, but then there is a time to act. There are a couple of different uh, opinions as to what this verse could mean, and I, to be honest with you, I don't know exactly uh, what it what it would mean. Both of those that I gave you could be true, and there could be uh, more opinions out there that that that, that uh, would better describe this. But uh, whatever it may be, the Lord said to Moses, "Why are you crying out to me?" Tell the Israelites to break camp. Now, what God is saying is, all right, I'm going to take care of this situation. I'm going to bring this situation under control. Now, we see that Moses uh, earlier on in verse 13, uh, but Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. So Moses had some faith there. He had some trust in the Lord. There wasn't a whole lot of fear there, maybe some, but at least based on that statement, he had some trust that God was going to do a good thing for the Israelites on this day. So the Israelites are to break camp. And then in verse 16, as for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So here's the, the scene that we've seen unfold. We have the Israelites that are along the Red Sea. We have the, the Egyptians on one side of them and the Red Sea on the other side. Now, where they crossed is hard for us to determine. Now, there's a gentleman by the name of Ron Wyatt. Some of you may be familiar with some of his work. And he spent a lot of time investigating and trying to map out the route that he thought was, was the most logical, that made the most sense uh, for the Israelites to have traveled. Now, I think some of his stuff is very interesting. I've watched some of his videos and, and, and listened to him uh, give some of his uh, explanations of, of why he thinks the Israelites went this route or the other route, and it's hard for us to know, but there is one interesting thing that I think he points out that's worth considering, and that is uh, there is a beach. Uh, there are two fingers that kind of come up off the top of the Red Sea. They kinda, It kind of splits this way. And the Israelites probably came around the top of that first finger they would have come to. And they would have come to this second one. And there's one spot, there's a beach called Nuweiba. Now you can Google that when you get home and check it out. And there are mountains everywhere. And you go through a desert, you go through all these mountains, and you come to this huge, massive beach that is on uh, one of these fingers of the Red Sea. And he believes that that's the route that the Israelites took because that beach would have been big enough to support millions if it indeed would have been that many uh, Israelites. Uh, They would have been able to be in that spot, but it also would have been a spot where there's mountains all around where there is nowhere for them really to go. And there's one interesting thing about this beach of Nuweiba, uh, where, where he went to, and that is if you look at the Red Sea, you will see that the depth of the Red Sea, it is a very deep sea. And it's kind of shallow right there on the edges, but it takes uh, drastic drops as, it, as you get into certain spots of it. But at this beach of Nueva, from one side of the Red Sea to the other side, which would be modern day Saudi Arabia, it was approximately eight miles across that portion of the Red Sea. So we're not talking about like they're crossing, you know, Percy Quinn uh, Lake or anything like that. We're talking about a massive Body of water that the Israelites are crossing. No matter where they crossed, anywhere in in the in the body of it, there would have been a big area. But in that particular spot, uh, where all the spots around it, the, the water is is very deep, over 4,000 foot deep. That's that's very deep. But in this one spot, for this eight-mile stretch between Nuweiba and modern-day Saudi Arabia, the water is only 900 foot deep. But what's more important, there are, no, there are no steep drops like you see with most of the Red Sea. It's pretty smooth, gradual incline, something that people could have walked. Now, I'm not saying that we have to find a spot 900 foot deep because God couldn't part a, a, a sea that was 5,000 foot deep. He could part a sea that was two miles deep. I don't have any question about that. But, but it is interesting as you begin to look at these uh, things, as, as Ron Wyatt points them out in this spot, and you kind of see uh, what the lay of the land is under the water there. And it's very interesting, and it's, it's very possible that that is exactly where the Israelites would have crossed. And they would have crossed an eight-mile stretch of sea. Uh, Following up his research, this is what I think gives it a lot of of, uh, evidence. He decided to take dive teams and go and dive in this area. And you know what he found when he dove around the waters of Nueva off that beach? He found chariot wheels all under the water. Now, how neat is that? As we're going to see, uh, we see that, that Ron Wyatt found all these chariot wheels. Now, this, he found these things back in the 80s when he made this discovery. And some have written it off as, as oh, that's not that couldn't be the people, the, the Egyptians. It couldn't be this and it couldn't be that. But it's very interesting to think about. And I encourage you to, to Google him or look him up or, or read some of his books or watch his videos. And it, it may help answer some questions. And I got a little off track there, but that's okay. All right. <clears throat> And divide it so the Israelites can go through the sea. So God tells tells Moses to stretch out a staff, spread his hand out, and the sea is going to split so the Israelites can pass. Verse 17, I am going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. Here we see this idea of God is going to receive glory. We are going to see God's power here and God's people are going to give him glory and even the Egyptians are going to recognize his power and even now tonight as we, as we read these verses we see the glory of God, we see the power of God through what is about to take place here. Verse 18, the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelites' forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptians and Israelite forces. The cloud was there in the darkness, yet it lit up the night. So neither group came near the other all night long. Now listen to that right there. All night long. So this was a process. This was something that that it didn't just happen in an instant. At least it doesn't appear from the text. This was something that happened all night long. And they had this cloud that had been uh, guiding them by night. An angel obviously was along with this cloud and this pillar of fire that was there with them by night. And it had been in front of them guiding them. But now that the Egyptians are coming and the Israelites are stuck against the Red Sea, this pillar of of, of cloud and fire has moved behind the Israelites. And so now there is a barrier between God's people and the enemy that is coming against them. And I believe that that barrier serves two purposes. One, it keeps the Israelites from going back and surrender and saying, Oh, we're stuck. We're in a mess. Oh, Egyptians, please let us come back. We're sorry. We'll come be your slaves. One, it keeps the Israelites from going back into a situation they didn't need to be in. And two, it kept the Egyptians from coming and attacking the Israelites. So here is God's work at hand. I mean, it's it, we we kind of may forget this point that God did this miraculous thing where He had this pillar of cloud and fire uh, protecting the Israelites, but all night long, as He was parting the Red Sea, God was watching over His people. And sometimes that's the case for us. Sometimes there may be red seas we'll call them in our life that we're that we are needing to cross, but it may not be quite time and it may be that until the time comes that we do what God is calling us to and go where God is calling us to go. That while we're waiting, that he is right there protecting us. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us vulnerable to the enemy. But just as he did with the Israelites, he is right there between us and our enemy, between us and our struggle. If we cling to him, if we seek him, if we cry out to him, that he is right there watching over us as he prepares the way for us to move forward with whatever he is going to lead us into. Let's read a little further. Verse 21 Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. Here we see that same language again. All that night. So this was a long process that God was parting the Red Sea. Now think about this for a second. Even at this most shallowest spot of the Red Sea, if this is indeed where they cross, that's still 900 feet of water. That's not like the kiddie pool. I mean, that's still a lot of water. And if it was at a deeper spot of the Red Sea, that is a lot of water that God is parting. And can you imagine being there if you were the Israelites? All of the things that you have experienced through the plagues... All of the things that you have seen by the mighty hand of God. And now you look behind you and there is a pillar of fire keeping your strong enemy at bay. And in front of you, you see the waters of this mighty sea being pushed aside by a powerful wind. Boy, that would have been a sight to see. It's, it's just unbelievable. Maybe God, when we get to heaven, can give us flashbacks to see those things. I don't know. But I can only imagine how wonderful of a sight that must have been. And all that night Moses uh, was to hold his hand and, 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 and put his uh, hand out and raise his staff up. And all that night the waters were to be parted until the land was dry. Now, I was watching a show just a while back and somebody was trying to explain uh, by natural means how this event could have taken place. They were trying to say, well, uh, there, there doesn't have to be a God. An event like this could take place if the water was shallow enough and there was just a little bit of wind It would come. Do you know how much wind it would take to drive where water has been for, for thousands of years? I don't know, but I can, I can only imagine that it takes more wind than probably is just going to blow up naturally. Now, I may be wrong. But I attribute this to a, to, a, to a powerful, godly act. And God pushed the waters back, and there was dry land. That's unbelievable to think about. That this, this land that had been covered in water for who knows how long. And it was dry land. Let's read a little further. Verse 22. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like a wall to them on their right, and they're left. Now, some would say, "Well, maybe the wind blew and it was low tide or something, and the waters just kind of receded." But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that the waters just kind of split ways. It said that there was a wall of water. Now, I, when I think of a wall, I think of something like this. Now, how tall that wall might have been, I don't know. It could have been very tall. It could have been—I don't have a clue how tall it could have been. But all of a sudden, you—you've you've seen these waters and they have parted. And eight miles across is further than you're going to be able to see. And all of a sudden, God is telling you, all right, here's your way out right through here. And can you imagine what that must have been like? They see the waters pushed back, and now the ground in front of them is probably as dry as any ground has ever been. And there's walls of water on each side. And here go the Israelites walking through there. I don't know if you guys ever have seen, uh, it's a Disney uh, cartoon about moses i can't even remember what it's called prince of egypt i think is what it's called and there's the scene in there where they part the red sea and the israelites are going through and it's a it's a neat visualization that makes you think but but in the walls of water is the light there's lightning in the sky and as the lightning strikes it lights up the water and you can see the shadows of, of of sharks and whales and fish on each side of the water and i think boy i wonder if that's really what they saw could have been could you imagine if there was a wall of water on each side and you could walk up to it and you could see all the fish of the sea there? Can you imagine just how wonderful an experience that must have been and how scary an experience that must have been? I can only imagine that they weren't saying, woo it's cool, look at this, this ground's dry, look there's fish. They were probably walking through there as scared as they could saying, Come on, let's go, we've got to get out the other side. And this would have been a big, a big, big deal. And it's a big, big deal that we're reading this. It helps us to remember the power of God. Verse 23. The Egyptians set out in pursuit all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and went into the sea after them. Then during the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw them into confusion. Now, that seems pretty idiotic on my part of the Egyptians. If they had any sense at all and any fear of the Lord at all, they would have said, I think we're just going to let them go. I mean, if they have not come to accept God's power and who he is as the God of everything by all that had taken place, when that pillar of cloud was gone and I had the opportunity to go, I think I'd have said, you guys have had it. I'm, I'm going back, but they did not do that. As soon as first opportunity came that they could go, they shot into the sea that was split to chase the Israelites. Verse 25, He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's, let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because Yahweh is fighting for them against Egypt. So as the Egyptians began to chase, God was still watching out for his people. Uh, they were they were driving with difficulty. It was hard for their chariots uh, to make it through there. Now, I don't know if their wheels were somehow getting bogged down or how God was making this happen, but God was affecting how their chariots, their best weapons that they could have, uh, God was affecting uh, how they were controlling and making it difficult. Well, by this point, the Egyptians finally do say, You know what? God's fighting for them. They finally get it. But by this point, they're in a bad shape. By this point, they're in the middle there in between where the Red Sea has been parted. Verse 26, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The waters came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. None of them survived. Boy, can you imagine that that feeling, that sense of relief that the Israelites probably had? the enemy that had had held them captive for so long, the enemy who had been chasing them, wishing to do them harm, they had finally crossed from a land where they were enslaved, and now they were headed to a land of freedom. Their biggest enemies had gone, and on top of that, they had just seen the power of God firsthand. Let's read a little further. Verse 29, But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. The day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, when Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. Now that's a pretty exciting story. Now you guys are probably like me. You've probably heard that story many times. But even now tonight reading that, it excites me to think about The power of God. It excites me to think about how much God desires to to deliver his people from the hands of evil. And look, I believe God desires to deliver us and keep us safe in our tough situations just as much as He desired to deliver uh, the Israelites and keep them safe. Just as they cried out to God and God heard their cries, just it's, it's the same for us when we cry out to God. God hears our cries, and sometimes we take crazy uh, directions and, and, and paths through where God may leading us be leading us. Sometimes uh, there are enemies that are around us, and we seem like we're we're waiting on God to work forever. But sometimes, even while we are waiting on God to work. He's right there watching over us, protecting us. And when we get to those situations in life, as we look back, maybe we see places where God has delivered us. Maybe we see something that we're in right now. When we see that God has worked in our life, when we read stories like this and realize how powerful God is, we need to have the same response that the Israelites have. We need to have some fear and reverence and praise for the Lord for what he has done in our life. And next time we think that our situation is too big for us to handle, we can think about this, that God parted a sea on both sides so that his people could uh, could walk through on dry ground. There may be situations that are too big for us to handle, but there is no situation that is too big for our God to handle. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these exciting words, and I pray that you help us just to tuck them away and hide them in our heart and not forget them. And God, I pray that you help us. Maybe that there's some of us that are struggling. Something that we're that we're just burdened down with sin, or or, or or something going on in our life. God, help us to be able to be free of that. God, give us a clear path out. Give us a path that's going to lead us to freedom from sin and freedom from our enemies, dear God. I pray that you just uh, give us encouragement to remind us that you're there watching over us, dear Lord. And I pray that you uh, take us from our our slavery that we may be in sin too. And I pray that you free us from that and lead us to a, to a place where you want us to be. A, a place that's going to put us better off spiritually, better off physically, better off mentally, dear Lord. And help us to realize that you are a God that has the power to deliver us, and take care of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.